Welcome to Real Food, Real Conversations with Sophia DeSantis, where we focus on finding our happy balance between salad and fries. Real Conversations podcast. This is episode 61, and I'm so excited about this topic. Um, I have my friend Ali Zozos here, and um, she's awesome on many levels, but I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell you all what she does. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited to be here with Sophia talking about a very specific topic today, but we are excited to be here and talk all things health, wellness, and anything like that. Uh, like she mentioned, my name is Allie. I'm a Mediterranean dietitian, which means I focus on Mediterranean principles. And I want to make that known because we're not talking about a diet. We're not talking about rigid rules and restriction. It, it's truly a lifestyle, but not a lifestyle that's disguised as more diet culture. So my Instagram is all about nutrition education because at the forefront of any change, we need to be educated on what's true, what's false, and to be educated to make our own decisions and empowered in that sense. So I share recipes, I share content, I share motivation with all of my followers that way. And I also run a nutrition coaching business for anyone looking to get started on a Mediterranean diet, in in air quotes right there. (laughs) And I love that because um, one thing Ali and I connect on is that we're both Greek. And, um, you know, I've always grown up being told Um, you know, by my mom, who's like straight off the boat, you know, Greek came to America to start a new life, you know, how, you know, the Mediterranean way gives you life, you know, a long life and the Greek people lived forever. The Mediterranean people, you know, are healthy. And, and there is some, I think there's definitely some, you know, truth to that for sure. Um, Because, you know, I think it's, I forget the island name, but I think one of the oldest living people was on some like random, like very secluded Greek island, like in the, in the mountains. Um, I love Mediterranean principles. I just, I love the, you know, the culture, obviously, you know, having grown up with it. Um, but I think overall health and wellness truly comes from, you know, that, um, that side of things. Um, uh, so the other thing is, uh, we're talking about gluten today. So I, I don't think we've mentioned that, but we're talking about gluten today. And I wanted to mention, um, cause most of you know that I cannot do gluten. It's been a recent thing in the last couple of years. I figured out that my body does not do well on, but the irony of it all, speaking of Greece and Mediterranean, and it's a question for me and I'll know for sure next year when we go back again. Um, but when I was in Greece last, I ate all the gluten and I had no problems. So when we talk about gluten today, we're basically kind of talking about, um, the gluten, I think uh, there's, I think it's, there's different, different relations to gluten, depending on where you are, in my opinion. I don't know. A couple of years ago, when I went to Greece and ate the gluten, and didn't have a problem. Uh, I think I, I, at that point, my body still was, I don't know if it was before it really had a true issue. So I'll know again, when I go next year, how I react, because I am going to test it. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like, um, I feel like there is a difference. I don't know if you have an opinion on that, Allie, but. I definitely think there is a difference. You're definitely not the first person that I've heard say that they can do gluten containing foods in Europe. It's, you know, you go to France, you go to Spain, 
Greece, Italy, pasta bread galore. And, you know, people have no problem. So I don't know the specifics on why that is and here and how we're processing things differently, but we know that things are more processed. And we know that these non, uh, these non celiac sensitivities have doubled, tripled, quadrupled in size in the last couple of years. So it's kind of sifting through what is actually happening, what is science telling us, and is there anything that we can do in the future that kind of reduces how we react to gluten specifically in the States? Yeah, um, yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I definitely think it's, and I also think there's different, from what I understand, there's different um, varieties of wheat that we produce too. So it could be a variety. I personally don't know 100% if I would be labeled a celiac because I don't want to gluten load to be tested. Um, I basically, when I went through, I went through early onset menopause and my body completely changed when that happened. And that is when I really noticed an issue with my digestion. I had issues with digestion in the past, but that went away when I changed to a mostly plant-based diet. Um, I think namely it was the dairy that was a big part for me back then. And now I know that cow dairy I cannot do, but I can do some goat and sheep, um, which is probably why when I'm in Greece and I eat dairy, I have no problem because most dairy there is goat and sheep. They don't do cow dairy like they do here. Um, so perhaps just as my body changed, like my gluten sensitivity changed. So I didn't really ever get tested for celiac because when you get tested, you have to gluten load. And I'm so uncomfortable with it that I'm like, it's not worth it. And honestly, what would that change for me? Mm. Nothing. I'm still going to avoid it, you know? So um, I guess we'll see next year. <laughs> but you're totally right on the cheeses too, even, you know, I'm definitely lactose intolerant. I cannot do dairy milk. But I can do cheese in small, small, definitely the more aged cheeses like the Parmesan and um, any any other harder cheese, we'll say. And then, of course, you know, feta is normally fine. Mozzarella is normally fine. Those are younger cheeses, but they have less lactose in them than we would yeah. find. So it's just an easier concept. And, you know, our bodies are so good at telling us when things are not right. And we can make pretty good assumptions based on what feels good, what doesn't feel good, and then adjust our diet accordingly. We never have to eat in misery. Right. And I think this is the point that what you said, our bodies are pretty good at telling us. So I think today's subject is really talking about gluten and why it's not a one size fits all approach. And I think in today's world, we get so much information thrown at us that this is bad. This is good that we are stopping. It's almost like keeping us from listening to our own intuition right? You know, like we are, we are basing our decisions and what's good for us based on outside sources and what people are telling us is good for us. Instead of taking a step back, testing and trialing ourselves and seeing what our body says, you know, because, you know, I've gotten people telling me, oh, you're a gluten, you're full of it. Gluten, unless you're celiac, gluten is totally fine. And I'm like, well, that's not true because some people do have a sensitivity to things. It may not be a full allergy, but you know, it's like you have to step back and ignore kind of the, you know, chirping in your ear and really do what's best for you and listen to your own body. Um, so yeah. tell us, let's take a step back for a second. People that are listening, let's get back to like the simplicity. What is gluten exactly? Cause I think people know like, Oh, I'm going to be gluten free cause it's healthy, but what is gluten? Yeah, it's a great question. And I don't think a lot of people that are following a gluten free diet actually know the answer to this. So I'm excited to share that gluten is just that name for protein. So it's a protein found in wheat. 
Um, and that can be found in wheat, barley, rye, uh, any of those things that have bread, cereal, soups, pastas, any of those ingredients that are found in those products are likely to contain gluten, this protein. And basically that means it's just the glue that holds everything together. So when we think of like gluten-free diet, I know there was a book that I saw before I even got into nutrition and before I even went back to school for it and everyone was reading it. I don't remember the name of it, but is it, is it, um, wheat belly? Yes. Yes. That's, that's the one. I remember it. Like, so confused by because I was just accepted to my nutrition program and I'm like, oh, like this is the stuff I'm going to learn there and totally could not be further from the truth. But everyone was, this was in 2015, I think, to the, the end of 2014. Yeah, that's about right. Came obsessed with gluten-free. And we just, obviously the name of that book, I knew it was like something with, you know, bread or flour or something. Just the name of that implies that it's, bread products and all bread products. So I'm going to eliminate all carbohydrates based on that assumption. So <laughs> there's even this, like, um, this video or this clip, I think it was Jimmy Kimmel. And they were like asking people, if they follow like, like a healthy diet. Do they eat gluten-free? And they're like, Oh yeah, I definitely like I do that. And they didn't have an answer to what actually gluten was, but it's a protein, not a carbohydrate, but it's a protein found in many carbohydrate filled foods. Yes. And it's funny because that's the thing. People automatically say, oh, I'm not going to eat any carbs. I'm gluten free. And it's like, there's actually a lot of things you can eat. You know, trust me, I know I've had to research them all that are considered, you know, grains that don't have gluten. Mm-hmm. There's a ton. And a lot of um, like following just a Mediterranean approach, there's tons of ancient grains that are naturally gluten free. But even like that naturally gluten-free, I think, gets twisted a bit because, yeah, fruits and vegetables and meat, poultry, seafood, dairy, beans, legumes, carbohydrate, nuts, they're all naturally gluten-free. And you'll find like product labels that will say gluten-free, but there's no gluten to be found in these products anyways. So it's very confusing for the regular average everyday consumer to go through the store and think that there's gluten in all of these foods. And if you know, a a label of, let's say dairy says gluten-free, you're going to assume that there's gluten in dairy. Yes, it needs, there's a lot of education with it because I think that, I think that marketing tactics definitely use that gluten-free label to make people think it's quote unquote healthier, Mm -hmm. um, more nutritious. Um, But you're right. There's a lot of things that are naturally gluten-free that, you know, don't have to be labeled. But then at the same time, I guess, it is maybe educating people that don't know, and maybe they do have celiac to know that they're safe. But also, you know, you have to be careful because there could be like, there's things that aren't labeled necessarily gluten-free that might like, for example, um, uh, if you think of oats, their oats naturally don't have gluten. People don't realize that. People don't realize that oats actually naturally don't have gluten. But the only reason they have to have certified gluten-free oats is because of the cross-contamination of how they're grown. Exactly. Yeah, that question actually comes up a lot. And they're like, I'm trying to eat gluten-free, but I love oats. I'm like, we got a lot to digest here. But <laughs> let's start with, yes. with the why and the how and then, you know, oats themselves. But that that is something that comes up. And it's a really common misconception. Exactly. So when it comes to gluten-free um, and people that can't eat gluten-free – 
what is it in that gluten? What is it with gluten that people react to? Why can't they eat it? What happens? So it's, it's said for people that can't have gluten. This is for, let's start with like celiacs where this is just a wheat allergy and it's an, an immune response. So by, you know, just to survive and feel comfortable and not have severe reactions to things, this group of people have to eliminate gluten and normally their symptoms subside in doing so. Um, but normally it's that inflammation and inflammation is a super, super buzzy word right now. So yes. your inflammation, they're like, well, I'm already inflamed or I had my blood, my blood tests like the IL-6 or CLP or something. And their doctor told me I was really inflamed and I know gluten is going to cause inflammation. Well, it causes inflammation in immune response you know, in that population. But for the general public who doesn't have that reaction to things, maybe their small intestine is working just fine. It's not required. And, you know, the kind of that logic is, well, if it's bad for that group of people, then it should be bad for me too. But that's not how science really works. Exactly. And what's interesting, um, which makes me think I am, might perhaps be celiac, is that uh, my entire adult life, starting when I was like 20 to 23, I developed um, what was labeled as seasonal allergies. And I took all the meds. I took allergy shots, um, which helped um, a little bit, we think. Um, but I basically had to use medication for my allergies every single day. And when I didn't, and there are times that I had to stop them to get all my allergy testing done. Because to get allergy testing, you can't have any meds in your system. Mm -hmm. um, I was miserable. It's like I had the flu. Like for two weeks, I had to stop them. And it was literally like I had the flu. It was awful. What's so interesting is that when I cut gluten out of my life, my allergies are gone. Mm -hmm. I don't haven't been on meds in eight months. I don't have any issues with my sinuses being swollen. Um, if I get glutened, like if I do accidentally take it, which I have, um, before, like, um, you know, it happens, you know, you're at a restaurant, there's mistakes, like things happen, you know, like maybe you're having a little too many cocktails and you accidentally eat the wrong pizza. Whoops. Um, <laughs> totally happens. I wake up the next day. So inflamed in my sinuses. So it a hundred percent, you know, it does cause inflammation in some people, but like you said, just because something causes inflammation and inflammation, like you said, is just the immune response. That's the way our immune system um, responds to invaders that they can't deal with. Is it, you know, it's, yeah, it's our protection. So just because somebody's body, like you said, re responds with uh, inflammation to gluten doesn't mean everybody will. That's just like saying that somebody that's allergic to bees, that bees are going to make everybody respond that way. And that's just not true. Like we're all different. And same with peanuts, like not everybody's allergic to peanuts. If peanuts were made one person allergic and you apply that same principle that, oh, if it makes one person gives one person a problem, it's bad. Mm -hmm. None of us would be eating nuts. <laughs> <laughs> None of us would be eating a lot of things if that was right. the case. And I'm sure there, there are people out there that have seen all of these fad diets, even though they conflict each other at this point. Like if you're trying to do them all at the same time, you are beyond confused because no one knows what's right. No one knows what's right for you besides you. But like that education piece is, is so essential. Right. Exactly. And you just have to, I think when it comes to so many of these trends, 
that we need to peel all the layers back and get back down to the science. And that is something, so my dad is an immunologist. Um, so when I grew up, he was, uh, he did research, he taught in the PhD program at San Diego State for um, immunology. And I've always grown up like looking at the science of things. That's just, you know, when you live with a researcher and that's who raises you, that's the way you look. And when it comes to all these fad diets and especially all the things happening in our um, in our country the last year, you have to just stop listening to the media. You have to stop listening to the influencers, even though I'm an influencer, like you have to find the actual true sources of things because there's so much misinformation out there. It's insane. There's beyond so much misinformation out there. And, you know, that's definitely one of the reasons why I even got into nutrition was because, of course, I have my own dieting extensive history that, you know, that's a conversation for another day. But I didn't want people to have to live in fear of if, of what actually keeps us alive. And it's still so apparent in the media today that these influencer accounts with thousands of hundreds of thousands of followers, there are some really good ones out there of, you know, qualified dietitians and other nutrition professionals that do really good work. And then there are some others that just have popular content and people follow it blindly and they don't ask questions. And they think that doing your research is finding an account on Instagram or Google searching an article that supports your opinion, but you can find articles on Google. And this is just like, newspaper clippings, magazines that will support your topic, support your viewpoint, regardless of what you're looking for. Like this is where we need PubMed, Google Scholar, and people don't, those, those are articles that are really hard to digest for the average everyday person. You know, those are very, totally. you know, there's a whole structure on actually how to read them. And if you don't have that background, it's going to be almost impossible to digest that information. But I did my research does not mean I went to Google and searched why should I be gluten-free? <laughs> right. You can find anything on Google, anything you want. If you have a case to argue, you can find it on Google. And what people don't realize is that anybody can go on and create a website. Mm -hmm. You don't need any credentials. You don't need anything. People, I mean, I, and again, growing up with a researcher, I was always told you need, when it comes to research, it has to be peer reviewed. Yep. It can't, there's, there's a, a series of steps you know, my dad had to, my dad worked tirelessly for his research. And it wasn't as simple as like just doing a, a research study. I mean, you had to go through a, you have to go through a series of steps, not only to get funded, but the, the, what you had to set up, you know, all the different trials and tribulations. And, and then when you were done with your research, that's not it. Like that didn't prove anything. Like you still had to go through the process of being peer reviewed and published in a peer reviewed periodical. And nobody believed you until the final step, you know? Exactly. So like when I, I mean, I get new, new community members every day, like I did my research and I'm always, I kind of argue that point or I pressure it just a bit more and it's like, okay, well, where are their sources? Where did you get this information from? Why do you think this is the best move for you? And there's a lot of myth debunking going on in my DMs just because if I can't help them at all, it's just to kind of put more thoughts in their brain that they can look at it from a different lens and they don't have to take that word as the Bible every single time that they're finding a new YouTuber or a new popular influencer account because they pop up all the time. And all even the time. I think they have robots working some of them. Do you know they're the keto smoothie? I don't know why I get those and they're like under the Mediterranean diet hashtag. So I see them all the time. And there's like the content is like actually made up. Like it's made up information, storylines are false. 
and it's it's sickening. And that's just the best what's, word to describe what's it. A ke- what's a keto smoothie? I have no idea. It's like their hand, oh. like their um, their oh. yeah, their Instagram handle is like keto smoothie or success smoothie or something like that. And then you go to Got the because it. It, it comes up on my for your Instagram page because of the yeah. hash. And it's like they're glamorizing this diet for what it should be doing and then they're twisting it and it's just it's so sad and it's sickening and people will believe it because they had yeah. seventy thousand followers that they paid for to be there totally exactly I mean, and then at the same time i mean the other thing i think on the flip side of that is that um at the same time research is research and research covers you know a big chunk of you know information but there's always outliers when it comes to things. So what people don't understand is that like, especially when you're saying, um, you know, well, something works. Well, nothing is a hundred percent. It's just not, you know, like there's always, that's what, you know, research is, is that you have outliers, but in the research, when it's peer reviewed or whatever, you kind of account for those outliers. So at the same time, if you're doing something and you've actually done your real research and spoken to doctors and it's not working and you try something that works for you, then it works for you. You know, like that's like the other thing. And we have to remember that we know our bodies best. And if we, if we're peeling, trying to tune out all this stuff coming at us and listening to our intuition, listening to our inner selves and, you know, something works then something works because we don't, maybe it's not what you think is working. Maybe there's another reason, but as long as it works, then go for it. You know, you make a really good point. There is you're doing what's best for you. And like you said, everyone knows their body best, whether they want to believe it in the moment. Sometimes people just like to be told how to eat and what to do because it takes away the thought behind it. And that's really the shortcut and the easy way out. But once you sit there and figure out what works best for you, that stops and ends with you. That doesn't mean the next person is going to react the exact same way. That's just anecdotal evidence. And just because someone had a really successful gluten-free diet for their non-celiac sensitivity doesn't mean it's going to be the best thing for you. Does it mean you can try it? Absolutely not. You can try whatever you feel is going to be best. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But eventually you'll have to let go and try something else because that layer of intervention is not beneficial to you. And it's hard to make that step to kind of agree that, okay, this isn't working. Let's try something else. My case is not like this person's. Well, and also the other thing I found too, is that, um, it could be something else like you're reacting to that eliminating the gluten or reducing the gluten is helpful, but it's really not actually the gluten. That's the issue. However, you know, it's, it takes a lot of work. I've been there. Like it takes a lot of work to truly figure out what an issue is with whether you're feeling bloated or you have inflammation somewhere. It's a lot of work. And a lot of that is just trial and error because it's really hard to do. There's not simple tests to tell you, oh, this is definitely the problem. So, you know, if reducing gluten, you know, you notice changes, then do it because whether it's the gluten or something else, it, it's helping. So do you, do you, you know, like that's, and I I mean, the, the simple test, although people will think there is a simple test these days, you can buy those at home sensitivity kits. Yes. It'll tell you your, I've never done one full disclosure. I've never done one. I have really no interest in doing one. 
because I know it's going to mess with my brain. It's going to tell me that I'm sensitive to things that I've never felt sensitive to. And then I'm going to have to put all of this together to figure out a brand new meal plan because a blood test or this saliva test told me that I should be sensitive to gluten, to dairy, to lectins, whatever we're talking about, FODMAPs. And it's going to be impossible to put a meal plan together without professional guidance. And that's sort of where elimination diets come into play. And they're really hard to do on your own. And they can take yes. six months, a year, and they have it can to take years, years. Yeah. And depending on what you're testing, like you may kind of narrow down what you want to test because that's what you know that you are reacting to. But like, for example, like if you know you don't eat say pineapples, like I don't like them, I don't eat them. There's no reason to test it for three days, you know, just take it off the list and move on to the next food. But it's very structured and it takes a lot of time to figure that out and trying to come up with meal ideas in the meantime, while you're in between your testing phases, so much brain power. Like that's like a full-time job in itself. Yeah, it is. I actually, um, I have done one of those tests because the company came to me and offered for me to do it for free. And I love doing things out of curiosity. Um, but the problem with these tests, and my dad basically like helps me understand that too, is that if you haven't eaten something for a really long time, it's not in your system. Mm-hmm. So it's like these tests are not really true. And that's the same thing with celiac is that you have to gluten load to be tested for celiac for two weeks. You know, like I wanted to get my son tested and um, this was years ago because he had a lot of anxiety and sometimes um, celiac can be connected to anxiety. And um, she was like, all right, you know, you have to gluten load him for two weeks. And I was like, what? So feeding him all the pasta, all the bread. But it's that's the thing is some of these tests, like they're testing you for like tuna. Well, if you haven't eaten tuna in five years, that is not going to be a valid test. Right. You know? And so it's interesting because I don't, rem- I'm trying to think like I did it just out of curiosity. I didn't listen to it because it told me my sensitivities were coconut. I think spinach was in there. Mushrooms was in there. And I'm like, <laughs> you're like, those are your daily diet. And, and I, and I eat spinach and mushrooms all the time. So then I wonder, did it come out high because I eat them so much? I don't know. But I don't have an issue with spinach or mushrooms. Like I eat them all the time. I'm spinach yeah. especially is like I eat handfuls in my smoothies every single day. So um, yeah, it was interesting. Um, so you just have to look at those with a grain of salt. And I think from what I understand, there are tests out there that you can do through medical professionals mm-hmm. that are more comprehensive, but they're like legit, like blood work, mm-hmm. like analyzing like it's yes it's yeah it's not like this thing you do at home like it's It's just not not. (laughs) no it's not so um that's it's just a good point to like understand that a lot of this is marketing and while the intention is to help people the true like thing behind it is that everyone has a business and they want to make money so there's always the ulterior right So when it comes to gluten, we've already established that not everybody needs to be gluten-free. Like that's just the hardcore truth. Mm Gluten-free does not equal healthy, period. It just doesn't. And actually, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about why um, it actually could be unhealthy to automatically go to gluten-free when you don't really need it. Yeah, there's a lot of things that can come with gluten-free that affect our health. And first and foremost is that the nutrient the nutrition composition of these foods are changed. 
So gluten-free foods are commonly less fortified with folic acid, iron, B vitamins, even fiber or calcium than non than regular containing gluten foods would be. Um, the fiber piece is huge. You know, there's it's very hard to find a high fiber bread. Not really sure the connection on it entirely of why that is. Maybe just how the like you know. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, gluten is the glue that holds everything together. So if you don't have enough of that, you're not going to be able to hold that piece of bread together. So you can lose a lot of nutrients by eliminating gluten from your diet. You can lose a lot of fiber. You can be constipated, like chronically constipated, which no one wants to be if you're not doing this correctly. And it's very easy when you don't have that education with nutrition and nutrition concepts to not see that because you can't see it. It's very, you can't see the nutrient makeup of a food. You just, you know, eat it because you think it's going to be better for you, but ends up actually hurting you. So that's the biggest reason is that it will likely change your nutrient intake of a lot of the very essential vitamins and minerals that we need to survive and for our bodies to operate properly. And I would totally agree with you on that because having to go gluten-free, I was used to eating, um, all the like, I love like a textured bread. So I did a lot of like sprouted wheats and, and all those breads that were filled with fiber. And when I had to find gluten-free alternatives, it was first of all, challenging to find those that tasted good and had good texture, but I'm into reading food labels and I always turned things to the back and looked at what's in it. And so many of these are stuffed with white rice flour, um, potato starch, and not those those things are the devil because I don't think they are. I, I mean, it's fine, but they're missing those whole grains that give you that fiber. You're missing that outer shell mm-hmm. of this, of what, you know, whole grains have. So it's hard to find things now that there's not gluten-free whole grains. I mean, gluten-free oats are great. I have, I had to incorporate more gluten-free oats into my diet to make up for some of that. Whereas before, you know, I got a lot of that in breads and things like that. Um, when it came to pastas, like I looked for pastas that weren't just corn flour, you know, rice flour. I tried to move, you know, more towards those that like maybe quinoa flour, brown rice flour, things that included more of that fiber into it. Um, and, you know, maybe like more beans and things like that, because it's just, it's challenging. And then I started making a lot of my own stuff just because I do use, you know, I do a lot of gluten-free baking. Everything on my site um, is gluten-free as far as all my baking goes. I mean, all my recipes are gluten-free or have a gluten-free alternative. Um, but my baking, I do a lot of almond flour. I do a lot of oat flour. Um, those are kind of my basics. Um, but I do use some, you know, brown rice and things like that just to just try and get some of those nutrients back in because it's hard. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, that's the easiest way to put it, that it's hard. And when you eliminate gluten containing breads or other products, and you don't think about the repercussions of that, there's very wrong ways to do things and eliminating gluten for health purposes. Like some of the claims that you may, you know, get by going gluten-free is like, I hear weight loss a lot. I hear improved overall health, but that looks different on anybody, um, improved gastrointestinal health, or even the craziest one, athletic performance. None of these are supported by science. So it's like, why is this still so popular? But not only just the nutrients, the cost is a huge. Yes. Oh my God. You're telling me. (laughs) 
Um, I have a whole gluten-free um, section in my house and I don't let my kids touch it because <laughs> it's like, I'm like, and do, will they have gluten issues in the, in the future? Perhaps, but right now they don't, or, you know, they seem healthy and fine. Um, so I, I'm like, no, like these are my crackers. This is my bread. Like I have a local guy that makes this, I, I buy bread. He makes this bakery bread, like legit sourdough bakery bread. Yeah. Um, that is, it's incredible. And it's like, for me, it's my happy place. And it's my special bread that I get every once in a while, because I feel like I'm eating real bread again. And he does an incredible job. It's like, he works out of his home kitchen. And then I pick it up at this juice place. It's, it's kind of weird and crazy, but it, it's, it's <laughs> so good. Like it's, and he has different varieties now, like rosemary olive is the latest one I tried. And it's, it makes me feel like I'm human again, but mm -hmm. the loaves are like, I want to say like $15 for like something this big, which I get it. I mean, it's expensive. The grains that he uses are expensive. Mm -hmm. Like it's not cheap to do it. And I don't mind paying for it, but I do not share because <laughs> I, will, I will cut it into slices and freeze them and then defrost them as I eat. And it can last me a while because it's just me. And I, I don't need a lot to feel satiated. And so, but if it were my boys, they eat the entire loaf in like an hour. And I'm like, and no. <laughs> Cut off from the G free bread. <laughs> yes. But it's like, I mean, and it's delicious. So I, I totally understand why they would, but your the cost is a big thing. And I think that this is a huge problem. It's especially in the online world. Like I'm really starting to focus a lot on um, food accessibility and um, making wholesome, nutritious eating accessible for all, because there's so much, there's so many misnomers out there that if you can't afford to shop at Whole Foods, you aren't healthy. You're not eating nutritious, yeah. you know, whatever. So um, I feel like this marketing ploy of gluten-free is healthier. These, you know, people that cannot afford these gluten-free, crazy gluten-free marked up alternatives, you know, have this idea that like, oh, I can't be healthy when in fact, they can be extremely healthy and get things that are inexpensive, that are full of fiber, full of nutrients when they, you know, actually don't need that gluten-free stuff. And I think it, it's really kind of sad. It is. Yeah. Because like you said, you're just paying the picture, like these marketing employees are just, you know, gluten or no gluten is healthy. So, you know, if you, you know, you're going to have to spend the majority of your food budget on gluten-free products it's going to be more expensive than your protein. And that's, you know, right. spend the majority of our budget on good quality proteins. And that's actually something that comes up a lot. And it's, you know, I live, like I get questions where I don't live in an area that's accessible to good produce or good foods. And like, how can I you know, eat healthy? And it's like, well, the frozen section is really overrated. I think it's the best way to get a tons of fiber, tons of nutrients that you would be, you know, losing by going completely gluten-free um, just because they're, picked and at the peak of harvest they're frozen immediately yep so cheap you know i have a bag of blueberries three pounds in my freezer like at all times three pounds of berries which would usually like cost me seven dollars for six ounces so that whole bag is ten dollars and yeah. it's yeah, yeah i talk a, i talk a lot about that in another episode actually about how you know we focus on all these you know, like, you know, what everyone's saying, like, oh, fresh is best, this and that. And it's like, well, no, you know, what's best is actually what A, you can afford mm -hmm. and B, what you have access to. And frozen vegetables are 100% great because like you said, they're frozen at peak ripeness. And sometimes they're actually could be better than, you know, fresh ones that have been shipped, you know, across the country and 
aren't, you know, it, you know, they're overripe and maybe don't taste as good. It's going to deter people from eating it because it's not as, you know, the texture and the flavor aren't as great. So, um, yeah, totally agree with you on that one. Totally agree with you. Um, so to end things like tell us, get talk about some, if you have to be gluten-free and you know, you have to, you've done your research, you've been, you know, you've done your trials. What are some tips that we can tell people that like, you can actually do it right versus falling for all this marketing stuff. Definitely. I think the first is to get a variety of texture, a variety of ingredients in your diet. You don't want to stick to one thing. Um, we I talk about this all the time where people are very happy eating the same thing over and over again, not because of uh, like out of fear, but just because it's easy. But I always encourage get a variety. And there are so many gluten-free grains out there that you can still get fiber. You can still get your B vitamins. You can still get a bit of iron in them and it's going to be great. So, you know, anything with, um, quinoa is a huge one. Buckwheat's amazing. Arrowroot, um, amaranth, um, nut flowers, any of these things are going to be great to include in your diet. And their whole grains, whole grains are going to be more expensive slightly because they have to go through ironically more processing somehow. I don't know why they're always more expensive. Um, even though there's like exactly how they are picked, but, um, get that variety, talk to a professional, talk to someone that you can bounce ideas off of. These are qualified nutrition professionals or even better dietitians um, who, you know, go through the schooling for this, but there are very, very qualified nutrition professionals out there that didn't, that did more like holistic training, alternative training in that sense. But there's never any crime of getting help. You know, you want to make sure you're doing it right. So you can always admit where you need a little bit more information. Um, and then just making sure that you can balance out the rest of your plate, you know, going gluten-free, a lot of that is just reworking your grains around and being more aware of where you're getting things. But the majority of your diet is still going to be fruits, vegetables, protein foods like fish and poultry, you know, nut butters and that kind of thing. And those are really good foods to incorporate in your diet. So once you master, you know, what grains you can have, look at the rest of your plate because the grains are just one piece of your overall diet. They're not the whole thing. Right. And now the my plate guidelines have actually like the visual of my plate is actually different. Like it has, you know, half your plate is, you know, you know, fruits and vegetables. Like it's they've kind of altered things. Um, so it's it's not the same as it used to be. And so that's an actually great visual is that my plate, because I think some people need that visual to see like what is balanced, because I don't think everybody understands balance and portion control and how much of what. So um, I might try, I'm going to try and find a visual to include it in the write-up to put in there to show how much of your plate really are those carbohydrates. You know, they're important. I don't believe carbohydrates are bad. Um, I actually think you need them. And if you're cutting carbs, you're doing your body a huge disservice. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, but it's, you know, having actually seeing that visual might spark some, you know, light bulbs in people. Yeah. To see. I have a couple. I'll send you them. <laughs> oh, perfect. Okay, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, um, yeah. And also, I mean, I'll add a few things like number one, read the labels of what you're buying because when it's gluten free, um, I have a free label reading guide. I will link in here too, but it helps you because labels can be overwhelming. You know, like seeing all those numbers and words, not knowing what it all means, um, can be overwhelming. But when you're empowered and you're educated to make these right decisions you make, you know, better decisions for what's right for you. So turn that package around. The front is great and all to like catch your eye, but it, it really truly doesn't mean a lot because 
they can label things a certain way that's actually not even true. And one of the things I've actually talked about in another episode is the whole thing with trans fats and that they can say something is trans fat free it has, if it has under 0.5 grams of trans fat per serving. And you know what they do? They just make the serving smaller. <laughs> and then you and eat so, three of those in one day and you're already over exactly. the fat limit without noticing. <laughs> exactly. So that's the problem with, you know, the labels on the front because on the back, the actual nutrition label is guided by, you know, there's certain rules and regulations for that thing. Like they, you have to have every ingredient on that ingredient list. So if something like, for example, the trans fat, it, you're going to know if it has trans fats by reading that ingredient list, you know? So that's the same with, you know, the gluten-free, like turn it around, look at what the ingredients are. Really the first three ingredients, two to three ingredients make up most of something usually. So if the first ingredient is like, I don't know, potato flour or something, and you look at the, you know, the number of grams of fiber, and it's really low, you're not getting your fiber in. So you need to really check out um, that ingredient label. Um, And I would say too, uh, focusing on the money part is make things at home. And that's, you know, it does take more time. But I, um, I just, I just like feel like making things at home is worth that time um, because it you're, I'm getting in more whole grains, I'm getting in more fiber and it makes it easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like you said too, you can get so many like fiber carbs you can get at other places. So that's a great one. And as far as speaking to a professional, I have all of Ali's stuff linked into the blog post. So make sure to click on that and um, give her, you know, give her an email if you need some help. Uh, Thank (laughs) you so much for being here today, Ali. This was an awesome conversation. Uh, I loved it. And I I hope you all that are listening learned something. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Sophia. This was a blast. And I appreciate you all. If you love this podcast, please make sure to rate and review. It helps me so much get it out there and get on more awesome guests like Ali. And make sure to tune in next time when I'm talking to another uh, dietitian and we're going to have a chat about unpopular opinions. So that's going to be fun. Bye, everybody. <laughs>